get him. Thank you. It's awesome to be back. The Lord bless you as you're seated. Well, it is a joy to be back. It's uh, a great privilege to, uh, to return to Hawaii, but also to return to this church. And we just fell in love with your senior pastor and wife last time we were here. And uh, we uh, were counting down the days till we could come back. So uh, we rejoice in being here. And Pastor Kyle and Kanani, thank you for the privilege of being back, allowing us back. And uh, I've, I have come rather uh, stirred about what the Lord wants to say. And I, I was praying in my study in Melbourne uh, a few weeks ago, and I felt the Lord quicken uh, a word to me. And, uh, for, but then I realized that it had to spread over two services because it was too much. And so I, I'm preaching tonight, but then 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, will be part two, um, and, and so I, I, it, both of them are self-contained, don't worry. But I would love to see if you could uh, come out tomorrow morning in the, either the nine or the 11, because really, um, I, I, I believe that would complete the, the package, all right? Um, so I, I, I settled on what the Lord wanted to me to say, but have you ever had a, a word from the Lord and then then things happen that you double-guess yourself just a little bit. Uh, and and I, I, I was sure what God had said to me, but this morning I was out on the balcony and I, uh, and I, I just said, Lord, if there's... Oh, let me just feel exactly what you feel right now. I said, I just want that final check on what you gave me to say. And I'm waiting and I re I've been preaching just on 50 years now, and I reckon this is the first time I ever got this instruction from the Holy Spirit, like ever. I'm sitting there waiting for some revelation, and he said, go to the dictionary. I said, what? He said, go to the dictionary. And I said, okay. I got my iPad, opened up the dictionary. I said, anything further? He said, yeah, take a look at Anchor. So I did, and it's amazing where I ended up, and it was direct confirmation of where I felt the Lord originally told me to go. So I, I, I'm really quite excited about that, but let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to you as an individual, because uh, the church is only made up of individuals. You know, you are one corporate body, but you are the church. Pastor Carl's senior leader in the church, but you're the church, Right. So if God's got a word for the church, guess who he's got it for? Oh, that was a little un underwhelming. Okay, <laughs> try again. Who do you think he's got it for? Okay, cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that tonight is not in any way taken you by surprise. Long before we thought about it, long before we discovered it, Lord, it was on your own agenda. And Lord, tonight we've asked now for Holy Spirit to come and just be our teacher, be our instructor, but above all, Father, reveal your heartbeat to each one of us. Lord, we love you, Lord. We surrender to you. We ask now, Father, that you will bring yourself, Lord, great joy. May your own heart get delighted, Father, as you see the responses of 
your people in Jesus' name and give you alone the honor. Amen. Amen. Well, I, should, I, I said to the Lord, well, I know nothing about why this church changed its name. And I don't, and we don't talk because that's a bit what goes with the prophetic. It's a, um, it's a blessing prophetically, but it's a curse relationally. In uh, um, as much as you just can't talk about stuff, and so until it's all done. So I have no idea what you've been up to for the last 12 months, but um, I got this from the Lord. And so I just looked it up, um, the word anchor. Now, we always think of the word anchor as being to do with a boat. And, of course, it is. But I looked up some of the other things. And this is what I read, straight out of the dictionary. A device for securing a suspension or cantilever bridge at either end to hold the bridge in place. Number two, a device such as a metal tie for binding one part of a structure to another. The third thing, a personal thing or organization that can be relied on for support, stability, and security, such as hope was his only anchor. And then four points that I felt the Lord quickened to me uh, prophetically, so I wrote them down. And this is what I felt the Lord asked me to pass on to you. There has to come an intentional communication, and I have no idea what I said last year, so I sincerely hope I'm not saying the opposite of what I did say last year. Okay. Now, the first one was there has to come an intentional communication to the unsaved community at all levels, from the homeless to the government, that this church has a desire to be a bridge between God's love and the community, an anchor of hope in the midst of the storms of life that people in the community go through. So that was the first thing he asked me to write down. The second thing, I saw a group in particular that was from within this church that was set up as a bridge between the community and the church. Now, this group would be like a pre-evangelism group in, its entire, in that its entire function uh, would be so uh, selfless. It would be uh, um, identifying the traumas in the community and selflessly going out to meet those needs. They were like the extended arms of God's compassion attached to the church under its pastoral oversight, yet totally separate perceptionally in the community's mind. Um, the third thing I saw was I saw the word going out and becoming established thinking within the community that this group, this group that I'm talking about, was the place to turn to automatically in times of need. I, I could see all different segments of society saying, well, if you've got a need, if we're going through trauma, we know where to go. It was like a point of instant reference. The fourth thing I saw was that in time, and I press the word in time, secular business people would grow to trust the integrity of this group, and they would begin to invest finances for them to distribute to the needs of the community. In fact, it was almost like a picture of the Salvation Army. Well, at least the Salvation Army that exists in Australia. 
I guess you've got them here too. Okay, but it's similar to that. Now, then I read the definition again. Uh, it's a device for securing a bridge in place, uh, a device uh, that binds one part of a structure to another, uh, a personal thing that can be relied on for support, stability or security, hope being the anchor. And um, then this thought that came to me. Do you know that the word anchor can be positive or negative? Because it can mean all the wonderful things that I just mentioned, and they are wonderful, or it can mean, and this is the very next thing that this dictionary said, and I'm just quoting straight out of it, any of various devices, any of various devices dropped by a chain or cable to the bottom of a water for preventing and restricting the motion of a vessel, for preventing and restricting the movement of a vessel. Now, an anchor can be a stability in the storm, but it can also be that which prevents that ship from reaching its originally intended destination. Sailing ships of old, uh, when they got hit with a storm, they would go and they would find a safe haven somewhere out of the, out of the tempest, a little uh, natural harbor somewhere, something like that, and then they would do what? They would drop the anchor. And they would do that because it was critical. It was absolutely vital. It was essential. Why? Because right there and then, they needed a place of safety where they could uh, fix the sails, fix the masts, all the stuff that had been battering them in the storm. And it was a critical time for them to find somewhere in order to do all of that. But it was a moment of transition. It was never their destination. There had to come that moment when they pulled up the anchor again and got uh, underway again. Why? In order to complete the mission. And so the phrase the Lord gave me prophetically in Melbourne suddenly meant something to me because what he said to me, do not settle for less. And I want to share with you about that. Do not settle for less. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 24 to 26 says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one person or one kind of a person receives the prize, so you should run in a way that you will obtain that prize. And verse 25, And everyone who competes for that prize is temperate or highly disciplined and extremely focused in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it to gain an imperishable or eternal crown. So that, therefore, this is the way I run, not with uncertainty. And this is the way I fight, not as one that beats the air. In other words, I am running as one that intends to gain the prize. I have a deep resolve that I will finish the race. I will gain the objective set for me. I will reach my God-given destination or potential, and it doesn't matter the nature of the storm. It doesn't matter the nature of the transitions I may have to go through. I am going to reach the destination that God put in my heart and the commission that He gave me. Can you say amen? I am, and he's going on, and because of 1 Corinthians 9 in particular, he's saying, I'm willing. 
I'm willing for the challenge. I'm willing for the sacrifice. I'm willing for the perseverance necessary to fully possess my intended reward. I will settle for nothing less. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, Jesus completed the task. He, he achieved the goal. He did not settle for the miracles. He didn't settle for the crowd. He embraced the cross, and he triumphed through the cross. He was willing for the sacrifice, and then he gained the throne. But he did not settle for less than the intended goal. And I came to speak more to you as individuals in a church, I guess, this year, different to last. But I want to say this. Do not settle for less than the commission God has given you. Do not settle for less than God's full intention. Do not settle for less than your God-given potential. Do not settle for less than the fullness of the promise. And my question that I carry with me tonight is this. Friends, what are you willing to settle for? And I want to give four statements now. There's almost like an introduction um, you see, I'm conscious of something. When Father looks for a people through whom he wants to further his conquest of the kingdom and he wants to expand the kingdom of God, he's going to find a, first of all, he's going to look for and find a people that have already demonstrated their obedience and faith. Why? Because he knows he can trust them. And you're that kind of a people. And I knew that last year. You're a conquest-minded people. And so if he's going to choose somebody to further the conquest, he's going to look to people who's already got some runs on the board. And secondly, if they are such a people, then they've taken land already, they've taken territory already, as you have. But the challenge is to see every season of possession as simply a transition to the next. Never to become comfortable with that which has already been achieved. Grateful, 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 but never ever satisfied. Still hungry for more. Can you say amen? You see, friends, last year I spoke about transition, but transition is never a destination. It's an insert of time to accomplish a certain purpose that God is doing in us. Transition is something you travel through. You don't travel to. And so the degree to which we fulfill our destiny, God's original intention for us, is, is most often, hear my heart on this, but it's most often jeopardized not by a lack of desire, but by a lack of obedience and willingness to sacrifice. Friends, Christendom today, and I guess you could be the exception, but a lot of churches in the West want the throne, but without the cross. And Genesis chapter 11, and I'm, that was all introduction. <laughs> I see they've got that clock fixed again. Okay. Um, now, John chapter 11 is where I was actually wanting to head. That was the intro. Okay. But 
we have the story of Terah and Abram, his son. And Terah took his, in verse 20, uh, 31, and Jer- Ta- oh, it's up there, look at that, bigger than me. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, you can just take that off for a second, thanks. Now, I want you to notice, as we read that through, that there was a specific purpose. It's, uh, he said there quite clearly that he, he left the Ur of the Chaldeans for a specific reason. What was that? In order to go into the land of Canaan. It was a very, very clear objective of Terah at that time, Abram's father to whom the commission came, for him to go in and possess the land of Canaan, and they happened to come along to Haran. And so the original commission, I just want you to get a hold of this, the original commission to leave the earth of the Chaldeans and go in and possess the land of Canaan actually came to Abram's father, Terah, as well as to Abram. But what we see quite clearly in the story is that what one generation started out to possess, but got sidetracked in Haran. And in order for the next generation to possess the land, they had to be willing to leave what the previous generation had been willing to settle for. And in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, the Lord speaks of Terah's son, Abram, the next generation, and says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now, in order for him to possess the promise originally given to both he and his father Terah, but Terah failed to possess, there are three places that Abraham has got, Abram at this stage, has got to be willing to leave. Now, I'm going to use these words prophetically, not actually, all right? But they had to leave, one, you've got to leave your country. Well, that's the broad thing, your country. Well, that's pretty broad. That, that's the first level of sacrifice. Your, your family, well, the word family, there's a bit misleading because in the Hebrew is the word molander, and it means lineage or kindred. It doesn't mean your father, your mother, your son, your daughter. It means the kind of wider clan factor, relatives in the wider sense. Uh, then the third thing is that he narrows it right down to the father's house, which really is narrowing it down, and that's, this is the top shelf of personal sacrifice and obedience. And so, as we travel through this in the next couple of minutes, I ask you the question, what is the cutoff point? What is the cutoff point of your obedience? What is the cutoff point of your willingness to sacrifice? Because what we discover about Terah is that he was willing for the first level of sacrifice and obedience because he was willing to get up from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was willing to get up from his country, but he wasn't willing to go to the next level. He was not willing to leave the land of his lineage and kindred and that which was important to them. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because he settled at Haran. 
Well, what does that mean? It means that that place was so significant to the wider family grouping, the clan grouping, that they would not move on from that position. And we know that because Terah named his son Haran. We know that one of his other sons, Nahor, his father-in-law was called Haran. Look, the clan was riddled with Haran because they loved the place. They loved it. They loved it. They named their kids Haran. And so and, and so when it came time for Terah to leave Haran, he could not bring himself to do it because of the cost factor involved, because his relatives were there. And leaving all that was just too much. And so the word of the Lord comes to this time, the second time. The word of the Lord came the second time, and this time it came to Abram. Before I move off Terah for a second, let, let's try to understand this man of fraction. The ma when, when the word of the Lord came the second time, just understand something. He was 145 years old. Okay? So he could have reasoned, I suggest, at 145 that he had had enough. Yeah, he'd had enough of travel. He'd had enough of sacrifice. He was too old anyhow. He had earned his retirement at 145. But what a tragic mistake. The man lived till he was 205. He could, have, he could have had 60 wonderful, fruitful years in the land of Canaan, the place of the prophetic promise. Friends, let me tell you something. I'm 68. A little later this year, I'll be 69. Next year, I'm going to be 70. And I'm already planning the next two decades of conquest that God has put in my heart. I have nations in my heart. You see, friends, it's got nothing to do with age. What about this expression, the ultimate, the top sh shelf of sacrifice, where it says, take a look at the expression, Father's house. Well, what does that mean? Well, the ha word house there in the Hebrew language is the word bayat. And this is what I found. I found that it can be applied both positively and negatively. A bit like that word anchor. It's your choice, really. But you know what? If you apply the word bayat, Positively, it means this, that which has been built, a place of abiding and security. But the same word exactly in a negative environment, negative connotation, says this, a prison. That's it, exactly the same word. But the essential thought is this, some, it's, it's of a place that has been built or purchased or established with the thought of one staying within those four walls. Is it a place of security? Yes. But is it also a place of confinement, a place of restriction? Oh, yes, it is. And Haran actually represents to every single one of us in this place tonight, it represents this question. What are you willing to settle for? What are you willing to settle for? What is it, what is that place that you could so easily camp at, but it's not the ultimate intention of God for you. It's not the original commission given to you. It's not that which was birthed inside of you in your time of first love passion when you first heard the Holy Ghost speak to you. It's not that. It's, it's, it's okay, but it's not that. 
what is your Haran? What are you willing to settle for? What are you willing to settle for in your marriage? I've got a really good book for you here if you want something about that. Okay, my wife wrote it. It's the best thing on the planet on marriage. Okay, now, but if you've come to an acceptable place of mediocrity, that's Haran. What about divine health? What about it? Have you come to accept that, well, everybody's got something and you just got to sell it for it and just put up with it? No, that's Haran. What about in the pursuit of a God-given calling or mission? Have you accepted a place of spiritual contentment, a measure of fruitfulness, but it's less than what Father originally commissioned you for? That's Haran. What about a pursuit of a property or a business endeavor that God told you to possess have you accepted a more, a more easily obtainable achievement? Because that's Haran. What about in your pursuit of the miraculous? What about in your pursuit of the miraculous, the impossible dream that Father breathed into your spirit? Have you accepted a plateau of logic, a reasonable place to settle? Because that is Haran. And so the question that came to me was this, and I think it's a very good question. What is it that entices godly, devout, awesome people of faith? Because that's who Terah was. What is it that entices people of godliness and faith to settle at Haran when they could have gone on to the promised land of Canaan? What is it? I want to quickly go through six enticements to settle at Haran, okay? And I'll share them with you as quickly as I can. But what is it that caused you to settle for second best? Well, number one, I've already paid enough price. The cost is already too great. Uh, you, what, what does that tell you immediately? Friends, it tells you immediately that there's come a loss of a sense of privilege. Today we live in an age of entitlement and, and there's a lack of gratitude and a reluctance to pay the cost that other generations have had to do in their pioneering days. I remember uh, Jack Haver or someone once said, um, my great-grandfather didn't mind if he missed the stagecoach, he just picked it up next week. <laughs> but my grandson... He gnashes his teeth if he misses a section in a revolving door. And so the generations have changed. Okay, so that's the first one. Friends, when I'm preaching like this, let me tell you something. Margaret and I have had the odd challenge in life. I've had doctors write me off. I've had all sorts of stuff. We've been through church betrayals, church splits. We lost our building on one occasion. We lost our school on occasion. We lost our home, our own home, etc. We've had betrayal of close friends. So we have had the odd challenge in our journey. But I can honestly tell you that Margaret and I right now have a greater sense of privilege and gratitude and thanksgiving about the call of God than we've ever had in our lives. And friends, don't ever lose your sense of privilege. Number two, the second reason is, it's, well, it's logical. Uh, where I'm at now is logical. It, uh, the facts line up and it's a logical thing. Number three, 
it's reasonable. In other words, I have a measure of fruit where I am. I'm contented uh, with that reasonable amount of fruit. I mean, why bust your gut if you can just coast your way into heaven? I mean, why do that? It's a reasonable place to settle. Number four, it offers a measure of human security. I mean, it's financially better for me now. It's it's makes me feel secure about the future right now. No, it's not what God originally put in my heart to do. No, it's not that. But at least I'm secure financially. Number five, it's less demanding. It just doesn't keep on demanding that I take another step of faith, another step of daring, scaring, off the limb, step out of the boat stuff. And I mean, friends, as I said before, I'm 68 now. And you'd think I'd come to a place where I didn't have to take scary steps of faith all the time. But you know what? It's never going to be like that. It's never going to be like that. Our whole team knows it's never going to be like that because we're called to live on the edge. Friends, if you can handle it, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) The sixth one, number six, is the most subtle one of all. And it goes a little something like this. After all, I know I'm in Haran. But it's just for a season. I fully intend to move on, but later. Friends, listen to me. I don't believe for one second that Tara ever intended to stay at Haran. The Bible is quite clear. He had his eyeballs on the Canaan, and, and yet it was a, just a convenient breather. It's a place to stop and rest a while and halfway, a transition. And you say, well, isn't that fair enough? Yes, it's fair enough, but he chose the wrong place. What I mean by that, the word Haran in the Hebrew literally translated goes like this, parched, dry, burnt. Friends, it was a place that was lacking in progressive, ongoing vision, lacking in replenishment, lacking in refreshing, lacking in empowerment, and it became a dry, negative place. And can I, we all need times where we take time out. We all need time to, to where we rest a while, etc. But can I give you some good advice? And I, I, as I said, I've been preaching for about nearly 50 years now, and I've seen a lot of people go through transitions. Let me say this to you. Never, 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 Park in a dry place. You, 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 if you're going to take a little time out, do it, but do it with great intentional deliberateness in the sense that you're doing it in a place that's going to empower you, refresh you, replenish you, equip you, and you're going to come out of your time of set-asideness with a, a greater thrust of the commission of God than you ever had before it took place. You see, Terah's story tells us something, that if you camp at Haran, and if you then get comfortable with it, you will die there. And God will have to raise up somebody else to fulfill the task that he actually had for you to do. But I've got some really good news. You say, oh, about time. Okay. Um, But I've got some very good news, and that is this. If you have got sidetracked, Is it too late for you? 
No, no, not ever. Now, does it mean the vision of the call has been withdrawn? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, because if you take a stop uh, learning from Terah for a moment and learn from Abram, and I, and I see that I don't have time to go through all the scriptures with you, but just accept that I'm not misquoting them to you, okay? And you'll find that um, Abram also comes to a time in his life where it says, isn't it amazing, situation, to do with dryness all over again. It says, because there was a famine in the land, Abram decides to go down to Egypt. I mean, why not? There's no food to eat here. So why don't we go to the land of comfort and ease? Now, it's not where God told us to go, and it's not according to God's agenda, but let's be reasonable, let's be logical. There's no food here. There's stacks of it down there, and so we're going to go down to Egypt. And things could have been a real bad disaster, particularly when he starts out by meeting the Pharaoh of Egypt and lying about his wife. You see, his wife was pretty good looking. And in those days, if, if you ever, someone like a pharaoh or king spotted a lady and she was really caught his eyeball and she was already married, the solution was extremely easy. You killed the husband, which then released her to come with you. And so, so Ab, uh, Abram says, this is not cool. Uh, um, and so he, he lies. The man lies. He says, uh, no, 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 this is not my wife. This is my sister. <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly Rambo, is he? And, and, and so, so he lies about it. And Pharaoh gets eyeballs for his wife, Sarai, and takes her takes him into the, the, the palace and stuff like that. Now, the thing what it says there is that the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he, 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 he thinks, now I've got to impress Sarai. So I got her. What I'll do is I'll, I'll I'll start giving all these gifts to her brother, which he didn't know was a husband. And so it says here that he gave. Uh, where was it? Now he treated Abram well for Sarai's sake. And listen to this: he gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, camels. He just poured it all over to Abram. And the Lord spoke to me and says, Ah, oh, but the devil will always try to compensate by giving you material and temporal rewards to ease the pain of the loss of the divine promise and try to entice you to stay there to settle for less. To settle for less. But friends, is that the end of the story for him? No, no, there's a difference between him and his father, Terah, because in Genesis 13, he gets up from out of the land of Egypt that he was in, and it says, then he went, and I love this, he went to the place where he had pitched his tent in the beginning, before he went to Egypt. And there he raised up an altar to the Lord and began to worship the Lord again. And friends, we serve a God of the second chance. We serve a God of resurrection. We have a God that, that look, look at Peter in the Bible. Goodness, if he, could, he blew it with knobs on and yet God still gave him a second chance. And what I came to say was this, one wrong decision does not cancel the dream. 
Even if you have lived a while in Haran or Egypt, and I know I'm talking to a few hearts right now, Abraham went back, and here's what the Lord quickened to me. And the first thing he did was to build an altar. He went to the place, it says, where he had the altar in the beginning. Did you get my phrase there? Where the, he went to the place, verse 4, which he, where the altar had been made at the beginning. What does that mean? He went back to his first love. He went back to the altar that for him was a place of intimacy, a place of worship, a place of surrender, a place of covenant. And in that place, he freshly accepts the original commission, the original promise, and he gets his eyeballs on it again. Friends, I believe I'm talking to some of you in the area of marriage. Others of you, it's talking to in the area of business or finances or your calling or your vocation or your ministry or whatever it is. But I feel the Spirit of the Lord has quickened me to say to you tonight, it's not condemnation. He's not trying to be tough on you, but it's a wakey-wakey moment. And that is, it's time to arise. It's time to move on from your present position and reimagine embrace the original commission that God put in your heart. Do not settle for anything less. Do not settle at Haran. Remember the original altar. Remember the original covenant, the original promise, the original call, dream, and vision, the place of your first love and passion. Remember that. Friends, can I say this to you? You were never created for reasonable. Never come back. You weren't created to be reasonable. You're called to something infinitely greater than reasonable. Haran is not your destiny. A land flying with milk and honey is your destiny. Sufficiency is not your destiny. Abundance is your destiny. A respectable amount of fruit is not your destiny. A full harvest is your destiny. Friends, as a church, a few neighborhoods is not your destiny. The conquest of the city, the state, the nation, and the world is your destiny. So remember the original altar and the original promise. And my Father will bring it to pass. And you say, well, it's very late in the peace. Hey, it's never too late. Read the story of Lazarus. It's never too late. It's never too late. We serve a God of resurrection. It's never too late. Now, tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, morning. you're all right, I stand corrected. Well, I'm an Australian, but I'm not an Australian. I'm born in Ireland. That makes me an Irish Australian. Well, what do you you expect? Okay. Now, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I'm going to be on something called the Master Key. Now, now, what if I told you that there was a master key that would empower your walk with God, would empower your marriage, would empower your business, would empower your ministry, would empower your church, a key that is so powerful that no demon in hell can stand against it for one moment, a key that causes all of heaven automatically to jump on your cause and back your purpose. Well, friends, I'm not misleading you. Such a key does exist. And I want to share it with you Sunday morning and the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. Okay. Uh, um, But right now, I feel a chugging in my heart about any that feel tonight that 
you can remember a promise given. You can remember a commission given. You can remember those daydreams when you're filled with a first love passion and, and you've dared to believe and to dream and somehow life or circumstance has, has in some way brought you to Haran and you've been lingering there a while because of circumstance or situation or relatives or friends or conditions or whatever it is. But friends, tonight it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, if you will re-embrace your original commission, Father will re-embrace you and the power that He will give you to accomplish that task. And so i I'd just like to bow heads a word of prayer for a moment. There's two groups of people here tonight that I want to talk to. Firstly, if anybody came into the building tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, by that I mean that you may be a church person, but you've never actually made him Savior and Lord of your life. You don't know what it is to feel the wonderful forgiveness of sin. And because of that, the warmth of your Father's love and embrace. You see, Jesus actually died on that cross, not only to forgive your sin, but to introduce you to the love and the embrace of your Father. And He loves you indescribably. He accepts you unconditionally. And tonight, if you want to take that step, then I want you to raise your hand right now and say, no, I, I need Jesus. I got waylaid. I've got put aside. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Yes, thank you. Two guys, courage, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Good, God bless you too. You can put your hands down, guys, that's great. Thank you so much, another one there, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you, young fella. Anybody else? I want you to follow me in this prayer. And I want you to make sure that before you leave the building tonight, you get a hold of somebody and say, listen, I need to know more about Jesus. Don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. That's not where we're at. But you, it's essential that you connect with somebody and that you understand that, that this is the first step of being fully accepted by your Father, fully embraced, fully forgiven, and you come into a body of people that love Him and love you. So just follow me in this prayer. And maybe the whole congregation could pray this prayer so that individuals do not feel on their own. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He was willing to go to the cross. We thank You that His atonement paid for our sin. I accept him as my Savior. I crown him as my King. I dedicate the rest of my life to serve him. In Jesus' name, amen.